Welcome to episode 322 of the Saturn Studs podcast. I'm Kurt, joined once again this week by the reliable co-host, the one that's actually here every week. I get the the attendance award. Guys, I get the attendance award. I brought brought the virus into school, but I'm here. I'm I'm here for class. Didn't matter if I was sick. The reason... (laughs) That little Timmy died, <laughs> but hey, you know, I I didn't commit truancy. <laughs> little Timmy is a sacrifice for Big Polly. That's the that's the food chain around here, and I'm Big Polly. <laughs> Welcome to my show, <laughs> Big Polly's <laughs> tax bracket review. <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that was a lie. Uh, this is. This is Crumbs, uh, this episode. Uh, it's like Scrubs, if instead of the charming wit and heartwarming uh, moments of a medical drama, it's someone crumbling bread for two hours. I see. I see the mass market potential. Like, watch. Like, your jaw's gonna fucking hit the floor when we get to the sourdough rye. Yeah, I think we gotta start with a with a safer bread, though. I don't want people to think the show's a little too, uh, you know, Jewy if we start with a rye. <laughs> What's it? All right, all right. You have all right. This is this is my my challenge, my screenwriting challenge for you, Kurt. Okay. Um, you are now piloting the latest HBO drama, the Prestige right. TV. And you have to cold open with a loaf of bread being sliced. What bread do you choose? Hmm. It's got to be homemade. Because that adds weight to anything that's that else that's happening. Um, because a homemade bread, you've invested more time into that than just going in. It takes forever to make bread. Everyone knows that. They don't want anything bad to happen to them or the bread. So immediately they're gripped. Okay. Now, I would... most homemade bread is white bread. Um, but if you don't want to risk seeming too white in your move, in your <laughs> trauma, don't want to be accused of being racist, um, you could go for a sourdough. Even though Germany is still white, it at least feels more ethnic than white bread i see i uh i would go all right i have the budget for this i can make this happen we're talking tortilla laid out flat sliced along the thickness we get a specialist in to do it he takes a week to train our main actor on bread cutting and then you get the lighting department, and they put the Mexico filter on it. Boom, yellow. It's sleek. It's thin. It's literally the razor's edge. And it has a Mexico filter on it. HBO gold. Tortillas aren't bread. 
then why do they make it in, in El Bakerio? I don't know. Tortilla. Tor Wait, no, they actually. So this, I actually know this. I actually brain know this. Um, there are, if you go in, if you go down to Mexico, there are shops where they will just turn out tortillas all day. I don't know the name of the, the type of shop it is, but I know that they will do and they'll just sell you Probably like. Probably a, a tortilleria. Let me see what, yeah, I want to see if I can find it. Or tortilleria. <laughs> Um. Or, yeah, you gotta you gotta be careful because otherwise you're making a torto, which is an entirely different kind of thing. Um. Damn it! The first thing is just La Tortilla Factory, which like amazing. Like that could be your. Except, that's your I mean, you just you just stuck a it it which should be. La Fabrica de Tortilla. <laughs> if you want to see authentic, why just put La in front of Tortilla Factory? Like these guys, they have uh, they have a whole story page on here. They have a blog. Oh, they that. have the Tortilla blog to keep you oh, up. Oh boy! <laughs> yeah, uh, all the latest happenings on tortillas. You know, mm -hmm. it's hard to keep up. Thank God this blog exists. Yep. So I, you can keep up with the one innovation. In tortilla yes. making in the past two hundred years, which was using flour instead of corn. <laughs> um, one last note on bread before we tell you what the fuck we're doing today. Um, I on my trip, I took a trip, guys. I hope you know that. I went out to the west coast or the mountains, rather, not the west coast, the mountains. Um, and they, I had a couple breads out there, uh, and they were. Uh, they were large. They were puffy, circular, like dome-like breads. And they were in two completely different venues, which was I was perplexed and baffled that it was the same kind of bread being served in both places. <laughs> One was a place called uh, Bardo, which was perhaps just, that is uh, that's just how bread comes out at that kind of elevation. I guess. You like you make that's why they have to do tortillas. Like if you raise that thickness, it just turns into a sphere of bread. My mile high bread making. Um, this episode, we're coming at you from uh, the main menu of an RPG video game uh, because we're doing an editorial this week. Yeah, on, bringing this gimmick back. <laughs> yeah, much much like the bread conversation, are we going thick? When you play an RPG, are we ask the question: Do you want to go thick and tall, like a big long JRPG, or are we are we spreading it wide, thin but wide experience, like like a roguelite? How how yeah. what's what's the format? What what are the pros? What are the cons? How do you What's get that the bread? Best value? And by bread, I mean money. Yeah. Um, well, developing one of the games, presumably. Um, yeah, so I, I lurk r slash uh, true gaming uh, specifically just to mine editorial topics. And for like a year and a half, it has yielded nothing. <laughs> but <laughs> last week, it finally came through because someone posted a similar question asking 
should developers focus on longevity of the game? Like, how long does it take to complete it? Or um, replayability? And the extreme examples of these are, you know, your JRPG where people will tell you, oh, yeah, the story doesn't really pick up until you're 40 hours in. Um, and the roguelite where there might not even really be a story there doesn't have to be a story but the core gameplay loop is so infinitely replayable that mm. you can infinitely replay it <laughs> yeah so we're talking um, we're talking your shotgun kings i think that's just yeah. a it's just a browser game it's just chess <laughs> but you have a shotgun that makes things Powerful. more fun yeah so we'll we'll have some thoughts on that um later in the program but we begin this week as we do every week with tray watch it is our trailer review and roundup segment and oh boy have we rounded up five trailers a whole five um, of them yep yeah uh let's start with with a movie that you know i'm i'm sure we're all gonna gonna love and, and cherish and that's Honk for Jesus, save your soul. Now, I wrote that joke just based on the title of the trailer, but after watching the trailer, I actually kind of want to see this movie. I don't think it looks that bad. Right? This is like a, um, like the title gives me vibes of like, um, sorry to bother you. Like that yeah. kind of thing. Um, yeah, no, this is, this is a Jordan Peele piece. Well, he's an executive producer. Oh, executive producer. Okay. Um, so like, it's directed by a man named or a woman, or actually I don't know, Adam uh, Ebo, E B O. Let me see. Oh, she is she is a woman, or at least is is feminine. Right. Um. No, this is this looks. It's like a funny movie. It's like a comedy. Yeah, um, it, it's uh, it's kind of like um, like a Spinal Tap style uh, fake documentary mm-hmm. or uh, making of a fake documentary with um, following Sterling K. Brown's character, who is this uh, televangelist um, thing, Joel pastor, mega church pastor kind of dude, who who's who's a grifter um, as. Mm-hmm. They all are. And his very ambitious wife, played by Regina Hill, who liked the the fame and attention that that status brought. Um, he's been accused of impropriety. Um, right. Which tanks the reputation. Touching, touching the young church. ones, yep. uh, presumably, given the reputation of, of the, the Christian fellowship. Um, <laughs> and <laughs> and yeah, there are, this documentary is about them clawing their way back. And it looks like there's there's some jokes and some japes and some uh, some people bringing the ray game, and uh, it actually yeah. I was ready to dismiss it based on the title, but I feel foolish now for mm-hmm. having felt yeah. that way. This this is definitely going to be carried on the strength of the acting and the comedy chops of these actors, because the jokes are very like from what I've seen, you know, the comedy and the jokes is all very conversational you know it's not like yeah huge setups 
So and it these these actors can definitely carry that from what I've seen. Um, they definitely know. They definitely know what acting is. <laughs> yeah. They know how to do the jobs. They, they do the acting thing. No, um, they 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 look totally natural for it. Um, so I ex- I expect this to be very funny. And you know, it, it's very little opportunity cost to check it out, as it will be streaming you know, on Peacock. Peacock, yeah, right, right from the get. So, um, while uh, Universal might not have high hopes for its <laughs> box office success, I think uh, it will probably drum up some money based on positive word of mouth. Unless everyone remembers, hey, I can just watch this on Peacock, possibly for free. I don't know what tier of Peacock this will arrive on. Yeah. I got no idea. Um. So that's probably going to generate a lot of good word of mouth. On the other hand, a movie getting a lot of bad word of mouth already. The trailer, like the movie isn't even out, and people are dunking on this thing. Um, the Woman King. Or so, as as most linguists would call it, a queen. Mm-hmm. So... On its face, if you didn't know anything about it, and I certainly didn't know anything about this, this is like a totally inspiring story about like uh, some badass like woman fighters working for a um, an African nation trying to fight off the imperialist Europeans and you know fight for their freedom and shit. And then I read the comments. Yeah. <laughs> and the comments are like they tell a much different story. This is this is probably the one of the bigger um, you know, that where the based on a true story is glazing over a lot. <laughs> um and this one's definitely glazing over a lot cuz as as I understand it from the people who know about the history and what this is, is based on the tribe or the the nation um, that is being depicted as the good guys in this, the uh, Dahomey, the Dahomey kingdom, were like the collaborators and the betrayers who worked with the Europeans to capture the slaves for the slave trade. Yeah, as I as yeah. I understand it, this this whole conflict arose from when Britain tried to to end their partnership. Yeah. Um. They're like, we want to stop so, doing slavery. And they're like, no, that's our whole economy is slavery. We're going to fight you about it. Or at least it. we're going to cool it or get get our people from elsewhere. <laughs> yeah. Um, so, yeah. Uh, on its When I first loaded up the trailer and saw the like-dislike ratio, which is 2.2 thousand to, up to 6.9 thousand down, um... I was like, oh, is it because it's, like, very aggressively promoting the the message? Yeah, and, like, being super woke. Um, (laughs) No. Which, to a little bit of, to a certain extent, maybe. I didn't think it was that bad. And, um, you know, Mm -hmm. the movie doesn't look like it's going to be great. 
Um, I think its ceiling right. is 300. Yeah, that's um, what a lot of people are saying. They're thinking about 300, I, which is I funny. I don't think this is like the North. I don't think that ceiling is like the Northman. Yeah, no, it's um, not going to get up there. It's funny that they a lot of people mention and compare this to 300, both because of like the kind of circumstances of the plot and the you know the historical portrayal versus the movie portrayal of the culture in question. But yeah. I, I guess I'm reading you know more of these comments. So these are YouTube comments. I could be totally off the mark, but the way they're describing the the climactic fight of this conflict, it was like a reverse 300 where this huge army of women soldiers charge like a garrison of like 400 French army men and get totally yeah, routed like... by by the superior positioning and firepower. <laughs> it was, uh, yeah, I'm reading the comment and it says 6,000 women warriors um, attacked a French garrison on accident, apparently, about 400 soldiers and losing in defense. They were so poorly trained they were basically slaughtered um but girl power right i you know honestly i think that it's neat that they're making a movie based on african history i will i will admit that yes as someone of a history buff i am very much in the dark about african history um mm-hmm. unless there's, you want to count there ancient egypt uh that's about as much about Africa that I I know. Mm-hmm. Um, Can we get like Bollywood to just it, branch out into doing like African stuff? Can we get like the African version of Bollywood? Oh, isn't that what B fourteen is? <laughs> <laughs> that's something. That's that's some. That's a that's an echelon higher. Come on. It's yeah, fi- that's right. fine I cinema. Should, I want I, I want the not. three hour movie about like some some police conflict in the forties that uh, with ridiculous action scenes and dancing and music that is, yeah. that is what i want a lot um, of people are are kind of pointing out that um perhaps it would have been better to do a movie about ethiopia fighting off the mm-hmm. fascist italians that would have probably been a safer movie to make yeah i, I think um, um Because I remember, I, uh, I don't. Who was the? Who is that really? That really fucking rich guy. Like that one really rich dude. Um, uh, richest. Yeah, here we go. Richest African king. Ma, um, oh, Mansa Musa. Uh, who was? Okay, that was Mali. Um, because I, I do remember that, where he was just so rich, he would go through Europe and just wrecked every economy he went to because he, <laughs> yeah. he hyperinflated the economy with just his ridiculous spending of gold. <laughs> um, but no, Ethiopia, yeah, that was a... They have very strong culture, very rich history, um, yeah. and a very proud Which one at that. I, I genuinely would love to know more about. I, mm-hmm. I'm a, I like all history, and <laughs> when I think about it, I know that there was some some colonization efforts. Uh, there was ancient Egypt. There were kingdoms that rose to prominence in uh, 
Ghana, Mali, and Songhai, and that's about it. I know, I know a few things. I know, you know, like you said, Egypt. I know some of the the basics of the 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 uh, Atlantic trade, and I know that um, Belgium was basically worse than the Empire in Star Wars. Yeah, just <laughs> just the worst. The Congo, yeah, that's fucking yeah. That's some shit. I don't know why. Laughing seems wildly mm. inappropriate given how terrible Leopold, they were. But Leopold has secured his his uh, fucking his presidential suite in hell for for all that yeah. shit. Um, but yeah. So this is this is the woman king <laughs> with, yeah. with the wrong title and the wrong side. I gotta say, I I kind of feel sorry for Viola Davis because. When I think of the roles, like the roles I remember for that popped up in my head are just have been bad, unfortunate choices. Because yeah. before this, the other role that I know her very well for um, was the Suicide Squad. Yeah. Uh, what else has Viola Davis been in? Um, she was in. Let's some see. Biopic, like wasn't she's, she? she's been in a lot of stuff. Um, okay, fences. That's I've heard. I've heard a lot of good stuff about there. Same thing about the help. Oh yeah, the, uh, the help. I think that's where she broke through into the mainstream. Okay. Um. Let's see. What else? I remember that movie. How to get How Ender's to get away Game with murder, movie. which was like. Uh, oh yeah, kind that of TV a, show. Yep. Um. That was not very good from what I hear. Um, like I was saying, like, an unfortunate. Yeah, she's... I mean, I've really only seen her do one kind of character. Yeah. So, like, she's at least a good character actress, a, a good enough character actress. I don't know how, how broad... Horizons are. I mean, she has, it's out there. I could. I'm looking through this and find it. She has a a deep filmography. Like, yeah, it's it's quite extensive. TV and movies. So she started out. It looks like she started out on TV. Mm-hmm. And uh, eventually got more and more through uh, film yeah. stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Her. Yeah. So, what was the what was the unforgivable? I forget the unforgivable. Oh, that was the um, that was this is with Sandra Bullock. This is I think this was like the crime thing. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, right, she's, right, yeah. Where Sandra Bullock she, is an ex criminal and trying to mm-hmm. find her sister. I think. Yeah, it's got a seven point one. IMDb forty one Metascore. Yeah, those aren't great. Those aren't yep. great numbers. <laughs> Just like you could say, it's not lucky. Like our next trailer, luck. Yeah. I wonder um, what this movie's about. I wonder if they say that word or use that term anywhere in this trailer. Nah. Like, all right, hold on. What what is their exact? 
phrasing of this. From the creative visionary who brought you Toy Story and Cars. All right. Who was... I, yeah, let's let's figure out who... I don't uh, know who that exactly is meant to be. All right. Peggy... All right, so was Peggy Holmes... Did she do anything? Uh, was she an employee at Pixar in 1995? That's... That's about where I'm guessing. Like, what's her? Okay, so she's got. She she was um. Director for. Wait, crew. Okay, she was yeah she was part of the crew, for, like Encino Man, and, Hocus Pocus. Yeah, like she's got she's a got lot of like crew credits, a lot of a lot of uh, really illustrious credits, like a, credits, the choreographer for Kronk's yeah. new groove, movement yeah, consultant a, on a Mulan Two. She's got a lot of uh, choreography credits. Um, what's, what 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 writing is... credits? So she's got she's written four movies, the Pirate Fairy. The Secret of Wing the Wings, Little Mermaid, Ariel's Beginning, Mickey's Twice Upon a Christmas. So I I have a hard time. Look, let me, let me look up this movie so we can see if it's a writer or a producer that they're they're meant to be referring to because I don't I can't imagine that's the creative visionary behind Toy Story and Cars that they're trying to promote. Um, all right, so we got three writers, Kale Murray, Jonathan Abiel, and Glenn Berger. Um, okay, so Kale Murray was the writer on Cars. And does not seemingly have a credit on Toy Story. Mm -hmm. And you know what? I will say that YouTube or Apple TV is very lucky that this is a, um, this is a kid's movie. So no one has, I have had to work fairly hard to find a version of the trailer with comments. (laughs) Oh my. Yeah. One of the writers is the guy who wrote monster trucks. Remember that fucking movie? All right. So this is what this is a fucking motley crew they've got for this like apple tv they're just like we just need we need an animated kids feature who who is available <laughs> well we got the uh we got the video coordination uh we got the choreographer for lion king 3 uh we have one of the writers on cars and the person who did monster trucks yeah, uh, apparently Jonathan Abel and Glenn Berger are uh, are thug buddies because they share a lot of credits on shit like Kung Fu Panda and I not a whole lot else. A couple of 22 episodes of King of the Hill <laughs> co-produced. <laughs> <laughs> These guys, they're uh, just they're in it for the money. I love it. They're just working. They're, they're just working a job. Quite a few writing credits. 
um, including one for so Glenn Berger wrote in part at least um, Sword Art Online the movie the video game mm. is credited as having written the screenplay that's for. not the one that does the crossover with Stranger Things right I hope not I don't think so just just fucking storied history so, on all of these yeah. people but circling back to to the trailer itself um it's really hard to to diagnose whether this movie looks good or bad uh it has a lot of uncanny valley moments yes this is the um like i think they got who they did because they knew that they wouldn't have a strong budget for animation. So they're like, all right, we need someone who's pretty experienced with like movement and being able to like sell all this stuff so we can work really efficiently with the budget we have. Uh, Cause yeah, you could definitely see, you know, more, more than some, some of these kids movies uh, you can kind of see the seams I guess I would call it, and it's not it's not super obvious. Like it's not, yeah, uh, not like a it doesn't look terrible, but it looks weird. And I think a lot of that has to do with the fact that we're really for the past however many years used to the animation and art style of exactly two <laughs> animation studios. Yeah. So everything else is going to look a little weird. Um, they also spared several expenses with the cast. Uh, no disrespect <laughs> to uh, Evil Eva Noblezada, uh, Simon Pegg, Whoopi Goldberg, or Jane Fonda. Um, but <laughs> them you and know. Flula being your 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 headliners there, I'm I'm sure you didn't spend a ton of money on talent. Like I'm, I'm thinking about this. Like I'm looking. So I'm you know I'm thinking about this cast. I'm looking at the cat that kind of looks like a Tom the cat. <laughs> oh, did, did you like the irony that it's a black cat that's lucky? I didn't even catch that, but yeah, that makes sense. Um, no, like I'm. Th- I think this movie was supposed to come out, or this, yeah, for St. Patrick's Day, but it just didn't. They didn't get it. It was delayed. When is this movie supposed to come out? Uh, This one is coming out August 5th. So just in the summer on Apple TV. Um, This, I feel like this is one of those movies where they're just, there's going to be like stories about it. I feel like this one's there's there's like so so much of the behind the scenes stuff is yeah, it's going to be a lot uh, more interesting than the face of it. Like, all right, let's just I, I'm just going to go through this. I'm not even going to make so, the joke like, oh, we've never seen this before. I'm not even going to put that much effort into it. All right. Girl is uh, girl is unlucky. She finds a lucky coin, becomes lucky. But it's the black cat's coin, and she follows them into the land of luck, where luck lucks, and luck, 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 and the chickens go luck, 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 luck. 
And but she's got bad luck, brother. And right. you best believe that Jane Fonda dragon's going to sniff her out because one bad luck spoils the bunch. You know what I mean? <laughs> she goes. She has to go to the bad side of the luck to fix the luck because it works on fucking Wi-Fi or some shit. She must bring balance to the luck. <laughs> <laughs> like, it's... I think that's the that's the part that hits me about this is that they're using it like when you're writing your generic kids animated feature, right? You're like, okay, this person is is down in the dumps. They're like, you know, they're they're under some adversity because of something, and you know, then they have to go to another world because of something, and there's you know, they have the skeleton and they just. Instead of filling it out with like muscle and fat and skin and the organs of the whole thing, they just dumped green jello on it and said, Yeah, this will fill everything out. You know, we just, we're just going to use this luck concept, just kind of fill in all the cracks. Yeah. Um, um, so I'm, I'm, I'm fascinated by this. So if you go, it says in the trailer that this is by Skydance Animation. Right. I've never heard of Skydance Animation, so naturally I looked them up. And what you get is a fork of the Skydance Media website, because I guess they do film as well in some capacity. Mm-hmm. And you're you're greeted with a white background, Skydance logo in the upper left-hand corner, and a picture with zero context of a lady with seaweed hair that's pink and she's also pink looking at an astronaut with some stubble around his mouth um and a very upturned nose and, yeah. and there's no there's no context to it's it just there and when you click when you click our story we're creating an animation studio Wildly entertaining stories will captivate audiences of all ages around the world. Our deeply creative artists want to tell bold original stories. Bold original stories <laughs> that touch people's hearts. Um, our studio. Ours is of one-of-a-kind studio. We're building a global creative community from the ground up in Los Angeles, Connecticut, and Madrid, where everyone has a voice. Everyone contributes Everyone counts. Together, we're pushing the envelope between art and technology, creating new looks that will blow audiences away. New yeah. looks that will blow audiences away. Keep that in mind when I'm, you're watching the trailer. So I'm looking at this, and I'm looking into what they've made so far. And that that first no-context image you, you saw was their first movie, Blush, um, which I guess is like an alien and a, a spaceman. And luck is their second movie, so they are they are very they are a very fledgling studio, um, which uh, you know I guess we can cut them a little slack. I'm not going to cut them too much slack because you know the uh, they Jake's have not the here. Jake visionary. isn't here. But he and I uh, both love series from this studio called Studio Orange, um, who are also a 3D studio, but. Uh, instead of making kind of forgettable, you know, kids' films, made some really popular, really high-impact uh, television series, like, you know, the funny animal show, Beastars. Maybe you've heard of it. 
And that was, again, that was their second project. Yeah. Um, I also won't cut them too much slack because they have the creative visionary behind Toy Story and Cars on their team. How could they possibly be set up to fail? Yeah, this definitely, like, the smacks of, and maybe this is, this this might be a good thing to pull out of it if, if this is, if my hunch is true. Because my hunch is the smacks of, we weren't being paid well at Pixar or or Disney, you know, or, uh, or DreamWorks. So we, we've split off and we've taken a bunch of industry people and we're going to make our own animation studio where, like, animators can do stuff. You know? Yeah, it does it does smack of that. But, like, this movie in particular, I, I wonder, I, I kind of wonder if what the chicken and egg situation is here did... Did Apple approach Skydance with an idea for Luck or like commissioned a film and Luck was what they came up with? Or did Skydance make Luck and shop it around <laughs> to whoever? And Apple was the the one that looked at the their Apple TV Plus offerings and be like, we don't have a lot of kids animation stuff here. And we're not going to be able to work with DreamWorks, and we're not going to be able to work with Pixar, so might as well scoop these guys up. <laughs> Apple it is. Yeah. Um, I thought this might have been the people who did um, that one uh, Wonderland from that Nickelodeon movie, but I think Nickelodeon just has their own in-house you know, set of animation teams or people that they work with. So yeah, this is true. just their someone trying to break into it and not... Not really uh, having a, a breakout hit. Yeah. That's luck. Yeah. Um, next up, we have a a threequel long past its arrival date. Yeah. <laughs> you could um, say it's it's expired on the shelf. Yeah, it's Clerks 3. Um, I never saw Clerks 2. I enjoyed the first Clerks quite a bit, actually. I think it's a, a very good movie. But um, this is Kevin Smith goes meta. Yeah, didn't they uh, already do this in the Jane Silent Bob reboot? Um, this feels like a reboot of the reboot. Well, I don't think... I think Jane Silent Bob reboot was... Uh, was just a Jay and Silent Bob story. I don't think it involved Dante and uh, okay the other guy. Um, but the other guy um, from the first movie, whose name escapes me, uh, his character name escapes me, yeah. has a health scare, and um, and he and Dante are still working at this convenience store for right. for years. Um. And they make jokes about how they're older now, and um, they're going to start making movies, and they do a lot of commentary, meta-commentary about reboots and such, uh, mm-hmm. kind of trying to do the thing that Matrix 4 <laughs> tried and failed to do. Yep. Um, like, this is... The standard that this movie has to stand up to is Be Kind Rewind, and uh, I'm not confident it can do it. I think the standard this movie has to live up to is Clerks. It's also true. Um, <laughs> Clerks 2 wasn't wasn't super well received. I don't think people hated it. 
Um, but I know mm-hmm. it wasn't like regarded as as much as uh, the original. Okay, so Clerks Two came out in two thousand six. With the original came out in like nineteen ninety something or other. And the premise is they're older now. <laughs> Good job, guys. It's just it's it does does he just look at the the fucking calendars like all right it's about time for a for another one Kevin Smith's just like yep so it's seven point three out of ten on IMDb sixty three percent on Ron Tomatoes um, versus the original Clerks which has a seven point seven out of ten on IMDb and a ninety percent on Ron Tomatoes. And seventy percent on Metacritic. Ninety four. So Clerks two comes out in nineteen ninety four. Clerks, or sorry, Clerks comes out in ninety four. Clerks two comes out in two thousand six. That's twelve years apart. And we are how many years now? Six sixteen years later. Yeah, I was. So, I'm. I'm looking. I'm looking at fucking cicada brood charts because i'm pretty sure he wait they just wait till there are no cicadas hatching <laughs> in the u.s waits for a clear year between broods and says this is the time the, the cicadas <laughs> are asleep we have to release the next clerks because <laughs> neither neither 2006 nor 2022 i'm not seeing either of them on this on this chart here Um, there are a lot of people that are excited for this movie, though. Kevin Smith uh, still has his fans, despite all the hubbub that went down with uh, the He-Man cartoon for Netflix. Oh yeah! Oh, that was that was him. Yeah. Oh man. Oh, and, uh, Kevin Smith. He's he made he promises about that show, promises that were not kept. Nope. And uh, he got called out for it and then threw a temper tantrum. So that's that's cool. Um, you do. Lastly, we have Amsterdam, which is another movie that I thought actually looked pretty damn cool. Ampersand. Yeah, this one. Yeah, this one is is very showing of promise. Um, it's got a really tight central cast. Yeah, it's um, got quite the ensemble cast with some real heavy hitters and Taylor Swift. Um. (laughs) like it's like between um oh shoot uh chris rock um oh margot robbie christopher john david uh, christian bale uh christian bale uh john david washington remy malik um robert de niro (laughs) so uh if this movie fails it will not because be because the cast was lacking yeah They've got um, fucking. They have got fucking everyone in this. Like, like the the central cast is already pretty high profile, and then they throw in the uh, the cameos, like we said. Yeah. Um, uh, you got you fucking... get Taylor Swift. You got Mike Myers. You got um, a few Taylor other Curry. actors I recognize but don't know their names. Um, yeah. And the premise is that three friends. Um, we're in the war together, and they make a vow to uh, always protect each other, and that embroils them in a murder plot. 
some weird conspiracies that they have to suss their way out of and uh, lots of intrigue and drama to be sure. Mm-hmm. Um, they say this is based on, you know, they say this is like, or they do it the cool way and say some of these things actually happened. And I'm like, I'm, I'm sure they did, but yeah. I'm not going to be able to pick that out. No, uh, certainly not. Um, this is from the same guy who did Silver Linings Playbook. David R. Russell's his name. He did Silver Linings Playbook and American Hustle, which were both quite good. So high high degree of confidence that they got the right right cast and the right director. As long as the the screenplay is, uh, are there going to be like decent. musical numbers in this? Because they did cast Taylor Swift in here. Um, I think she's trying to be an actress. Okay. Um, Casting her along with I mean, uh, she Ryan might Malek, be. Who... I think there might be like some like singing in the background. She might do her character might be a singer, and she might do like a song in a club scene, and they cut to her occasionally. Mm-hmm. You can picture the scene. They're they're, a, they're yeah. at the table. They're in the well. They're talking business. She's up there singing. He's like, "Hey, toots." Keep singing. <laughs> Y'all picture the scene. Please continue. You know, she hails to the sarcophagus. Hey, tut. <laughs> King tut. Brown, brown, Buried brown, in his brown. jammies. Funky tut. He could have won a Grammy. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't know. that. It doesn't make sense why that should be funny, but it is. It's so good, and it's it it retains its wonder and its its greatness. That sketch because they never they never turned it into a movie. They could have turned it into King Tut uh, in Arizona, or you know, Modern Tut, or whatever. Um, boss Tut, yeah, Boss Tut. Um, but they didn't, and they left it as like a three minute sketch, and that's perfect well i think that was just like a a live recording of a song that steve martin was doing in his stand-up show that could be like it's on a cd of his (laughs) like and i've seen other live performances of it so either they brought it to snl or he debuted it on snl and it was such a hit that he took it on the road with him either way that's it's exactly the size it needed to be. Shout out to Steve Martin. Round of applause yes. for properly maintaining your comedic properties. I've actually been watching uh, his new new show. Oh, not new, super now, but the the second season's new. Uh, Only murders in the building. Okay, um, it's pretty good. It's pretty good. Yeah. I don't. I don't think the mystery. Uh, I, I kind of like it when you can follow the clues as well. And I don't know if maybe I didn't just pay enough attention or they didn't like leave bread cl- crumbs for the audience. Uh, but I found mm-hmm. the, the, the culprit to kind of been out of left field. Right. Yeah. It's that, it's that balancing act. Like you want them to be able to feel like they can follow along, but also you don't want to let them know too early. It's but. like Psych nailed this formula 
because you know all the clues and stuff were there and, and sean does his you know i have a clue face and they highlight what the clue is <laughs> right uh so like the audience has the clues and they can Mm-hmm. try to piece it together themselves throughout the episode as the new I, information comes in. And I think and the when key... they do the recap at the end, if you missed any of the connections, <laughs> when they do the recap, they laid it out well enough where you're like, right, yes, I see how that fits. Mm-hmm. Yeah, no, and I think the key, the also the key there that, that gives it the secret sauce is the the runtime. Like, if they if that was the same format, it's like it was the same format, but was a lot longer and you were able to figure it out, like you'd be sitting with that for yeah. like another half an hour while they had to go through it. And it's like, nope, as you know, by the time you've got it all together, they've got it all together. We're ready for the episode to end. Shazam. Um, one more, one more thing about Steve. Uh, I want to say Steve Harvey. No, <laughs> Steve Martin. Um, what a, what a fucking, the man has it set, right? Cause he'll do whatever comedy he wants to do. And then when he just gets tired or doesn't, he needs to like step back for a while to write new material. He just goes on fucking tour with the Lone Canyon Rangers, and they <laughs> he does banjo music for like a year, and he goes all the way around and he gets on all the shows and stuff, and he does huge numbers and gets huge venues. And he's like, okay, I'm, re- <laughs> I either have enough money. Well, he already has enough money, but he's like, I have extra enough money to just not do anything for another year, or. I have new material, time to do yeah, something. He can he pick and choose what he wants. He doesn't have to do anything for for money. Um, exactly. Which sometimes you don't get that sense from his co-star Martin Short. Yeah, what was <laughs> when he did the Santa Claus three? <laughs> yeah. Uh Steve Martin filmography. What was what was he last in? What was the last high profile thing he was in? I think it was probably one of the cheaper by the dozen movies or the Pink Panther remakes. Could be. Um, it was, I mean, it was obviously only murders in the building. Yeah, that's um, the television show he's currently on. Right. Yeah, no, it was like he, so he took a kind of a break between 2010 and 2018. Or rather, he probably just retired. <laughs> he did the Pink Panther 2, which is his last, like, theatrical blockbuster thing you got it man um then he did the 82nd academy Awards special (laughs) he did a skit for it and then he was like a guest on some things and he's he's good he's he's fine he's living his best life he's palling it up with martin short and tom cruise having their group colonoscopies which is a real thing that they do. I read about in Martin Short's autobiography. <laughs> what they just give? They just get like a fucking trident. Him, Tom Hanks, um, Steve Martin, and I think there's one other guy whose name I'm forgetting, but they're all like really good friends from long ago, and they do a lot of stuff together, including they all schedule colonoscopies at the same time, <laughs> and they get together the night before. And take ter- spend their time together playing cards and shitting their brains out. And then they all 
take a town car to the doctor <laughs> and get their colonoscopies and then have lunch afterwards. This is a real, a real somehow, thing, I swear to God. That is somehow the most Hollywood shit I've heard all week. It's like hot yoga and group colonoscopies. I don't I I would assume they're not like all in the room together. I would I would think they're in separate No, they go full they're, they're going full human centipede on this. <laughs> all right. That's that's all the trailers in, in the side track of the trailers. So we we really padded There's that There's another like fucking 3 featurettes for Thor Love and Thunder. They're pushing it hard. I've I've heard some things, and they're not promising. A lot of them aren't good. <laughs> yeah, uh, I. Which is which is a shame because it's everything that everyone wanted. Again, they're like, oh, Thor Ragnarok, so good. Let's have all the elements back for another one. Yeah, I did not like Thor Ragnarok that much. <laughs> um. Mm-hmm. But anyway, on to the follow-up for 4th of July weekend, baby. Halfway through the year. It's the 26th weekend of the year, and it's past. Yep. No, no turning back now. Um, opening in first to the surprise of no one, Minions, The Rise of Gru, bringing in a strong $123 million opening weekend. Um, over the holiday in four thousand theaters, strong enough that it's fucking it ban they banned um suits because of, it's the new yeah. meme. Yeah, there's a new TikTok challenge because of course there is to like see this movie in a minion suit and I guess commit debauchery or people doing this were also committing debauchery and they've been banned in the UK. <laughs> From the same website that brought you Devious Licks, in which people just stole shit and called it a meme, uh, comes the rise Remember of when Jake tried to like defend TikTok's honor and like say, I think it actually started on Facebook. I'm like, I'm pretty sure it started on TikTok, Jake. Yeah. Just and you know, just because it started on Facebook doesn't mean uh, it <laughs> that's that's it didn't where it blow got up off. on TikTok. Yeah. Um, yeah, that <laughs> I could make some like, very unfavorable comparisons. When you're, uh, uh, when you're, I'm sure you could. When your uh, hatred for Zuckerberg leads to your allegiance to the CCP, I think you, <laughs> you might need yeah. to take a step back and look at who's running what. Oh, um, and the minions are running this. Yeah, almost a quarter of a billion worldwide already. Yeah, like in one week it made domestically more than Morbius made worldwide. Good God. Um, Speaking of good God, Top Gun Maverick is hanging in there. The extra extra day. I thought it would. Yeah, I thought it would bump. Yeah, it it did bump. Um, So when... Box Office Mojo has this quirk where if you look at a long weekend, since the last weekend was not a long weekend and it's not a like sample size, uh, you don't see um, the week to week. Yeah. But uh, yeah, but actually, if you go in, you can see just the weekend, which I've I've done now. 
And it did actually go down 12.6%. Uh, but it left 105 feeders. Mm-hmm. So, so not it was they were not riding on the, the bump like we thought they would. Um, yeah. It probably buoyed it a little bit, but it it is amazing. It's it's in second place in its sixth week. Yes, above several films that either opened last week or opened this week. And yeah. it has it has made over one point one billion dollars across the globe. With a, a, a really, I am shocked that this movie has performed as well as it has overseas. It's basically a 50 50 split between domestic and international on this movie. It's fucking nuts. And for a movie that's like so heavily America, fuck yeah. Mm hmm. That's, it just blows my mind. <laughs> that it's all, it is all Tom Cruise. Yeah, I guess. Like, People think that, like, you can go to America, rub, like, you can find a Coke bottle, rub it, and Tom Cruise will come out and grant you, like, three America wishes. <laughs> America like, wishes this, and that they'll be promised, but they'll they'll die on the Senate floor. Yeah. <laughs> it's this Pop-Tarts and Red Solo Cups. That's America's legacy. <laughs> you know what? It's not half bad. <laughs> Just forget about the other stuff. Yeah, if if that's what we're remembered for, I think we we got away with some shit. <laughs> oh man. Uh, um well, we'll also be remembered for Elvis. Yeah, in third this week, 22.7 <laughs> million dollars uh for the long weekend bringing its total up to 124 million worldwide. Mostly domestic on this one, but it's found its way into our spotlight nonetheless. We'll take a look at Mr. Baz Lerman and his take on Mr. Elvis. Lehman. Currently, it's got a 7.8 out of 10 on IMDb, which is quite high for IMDb. A Rotten Tomato score of 78%, which indicates that's fresh. Uh, I don't think that's certified fresh territory, but it's it's fresh. Yeah, actually, nope, certified fresh. Okay, oh, I don't know what that okay. means versus the other one. Um, and Metacritic is sixty three, which indicates mixed but generally favorable reviews. Um, but as we say every week, and as I sometimes struggle to find humorous ways to say that I have not said many times before, we don't care about any of those outlets. Can you do it in your best? Um, Tom Hanks in this movie accent. We do not care about any of these outlets. We belong to the children of the IMDb comment section. User reviews. Let's <laughs> just get old Asian now. Right, he's just turning into fucking... I don't uh... know what this accent is, my child. But real reviewers and real reviewer <laughs> traits live in the IMDb user review section. Tom Hanks doesn't know what that accent is. No. Um, I'm surprised the accent was not mentioned in more of the reviews. It was in plenty of the one stars, but I I figured someone would say something about it <laughs> elsewhere. But alas, no. Um, I grab Here's a review from a... <laughs> 
Quite quite a username here. Do not come to the cinema depressed. Okay. It's all in the title. It's just all in a name, isn't it? Yeah. Uh, unsurprisingly, 10 out of 10 for this, this eternal optimist. And in, in all caps, elite level production and direction. See this in Dolby Cinema, guys! Exclamation mark. Guitar emoji, saxophone emoji, microphone emoji. Man, oh man. New paragraph. A frantic, fast-paced concert-like cinematic experience with production and direction levels of the very highest order. New paragraph. Key points. Numbered list. Point number one. First off, comma, the lead. End of sentence. Austin Butler looks absolutely beautiful to look at. His performance in this couldn't have been any better. His mannerisms and movements were so good. Uh, both mannerisms and movements and good were capitalized for no discernible reason. Oh, he's, he's, um, writing, a, he's writing his fucking uh, newspaper article title. Yeah. Two. Then we have Tom Hanks. What a performer he is. He's just as crucial to this movie as Austin Butler is. What Three. a performer. What a performer. Three. The style of this movie is awesome. The fast pace. The dialogue. The little cuts. The text graphics. The panorama shots of Las Vegas and city hotels. Everything. Joy to watch. The musical scene, number four. The musical scenes. I saw this in Dolby Cinema, and it was absolutely blaring with sound and bass. I felt like it was at a concert. Number five. Like Elvis. Finally, the storyline. It's the rise and fall of Elvis Presley, and boy, what a ride it was. (laughs) (laughs) And the list. Overall, just excellent. 89 out of 109 found that helpful. Not bad. I have to counter your list, though. The list of my own. Down in, down the 110s. From, from Nano Frog. This one, this person actually made like a username. It's like a <laughs> username. From Nano Frog. Uh, 1 out of 10. No way, baby. Is this the real goods? Parentheses, Tom Hanks, just stop. First, Tom Hanks needs to stop making films. Enough. Why is Hanks now in every film? (laughs) Second, the director, producer, writer, at all is a moron of the highest order. This film is about him has nothing to do with Elvis. Third, there is no way this movie is a 10. There are a handful of films in this world that might be a 10. This ain't one by far. I gave it a 1 and would have given it a 0 if it was available. Stop with the 10s. (laughs) Stop all the 10. This one's my favorite. Fourth. Elvis Presley is nowhere to be found in this film. 
The young actor playing the part is being pimped and will be forgotten almost immediately. We find out nothing useful about Elvis anywhere in this film, so it is not in any way biographical. Hank's portrayal of Colonel Parker is absurd and not at all accurate. And why are so many actors now showing up in prosthetic and fat suits to play characters they have no talent for playing? For example, the cheesy, rather disgusting turn of Sean Penn as A.G. Mitchell is so pathetic. And the kid playing Elvis, he just ain't Elvis. He looks absurd. Elvis was a meaty guy. The kid playing Elvis looks anemic and starved. This is a fill with an iconic name, but it is trash that has nothing to do with Elvis Presley and does not tell the viewer a single true thing. I find everything about this film to be appalling. 18 out of 40. See, I wish Jake did the legwork to really dig for the for the gold there and not just take whatever right. rambling racist review he finds first. This, uh, that this. was that was just a a perfect amount of vitriol. Lightly salted. Seared. Oh, it's so good. Um all right. I got it. There are there are a lot of nice mid-tier ones. Um, I like this this six out of ten called moments where I talked about the moments, um, <laughs> but we got to do this one from Shone Diggity, five out of ten. Shown Austin, down. Austin is Elvis. Just survive the first hour and it's fun. <laughs> Austin is Elvis. Elvis is Austin. Austin. <laughs> Einhorn is Finkel. <laughs> Just survive the first hour and it's fun. Watch for Austin. It's like the JRPG guy. Oh yeah, the story doesn't pick up till forty hours in. Once you once the main character dies, then it starts getting good. Um, yeah, watch for Austin. The rest are atrocious. Tom Hanks slips in and out of his accent. Just weird to look at him in a fat suit. The wife was oh my god horrible, as some people said. Forgetful. The first hour was so confusingly directed. Like what the heck? We all wanted the focus on the beginning years, but it felt like a comic book stylized, then had jarring cuts throughout, just felt so disjointed. Admittedly, I fell asleep midpoint for a few minutes. But if Toucan survived the first hour, it becomes a decent movie that's filled with the songs and the uncannily handsome Austin Butler. Loudy, loudy, that man is blessed. (laughs) 11 out of 22. Ah, you really brought it home with that. <laughs> so was, that was that was a, I I enjoyed that one. Fair Saif. I I assume F E R S I A F if if you want to correct me. Um yep. 10 out of 10. Maybe the first movie I hated Tom Hanks. <laughs> All right. This is one incredibly sad movie. I can't help but feel sorry for what Elvis had experienced throughout his career. Yes, he had become one of the most successful icons in the music industry, but I think it was unfair to have experienced those things. Funny how fame can bring happiness 
and sadness at the same time. I really didn't know Elvis. I watched this as he was my late father's favorite. I really hope he was going to say, I watched it because he was my late father. <laughs> Get ready for this. This brings it home in a big way. As a huge Britney Spears fan, I can see the connection between their lives. And this has made me somehow to empathize. <laughs> Frowny face emoticon. <laughs> That's what made him empathize. You know, I couldn't connect to the stardom of Elvis. I needed Britney Spears as a medium to get there. <laughs> 10 out of 13 found that helpful. <laughs> he aimed and he fucking hit the bullseye on that one. Oh my god. <laughs> yeah. I I'm I'm almost convinced he he was trolling. Uh but it took until like the second to last sentence to, for me to come to that conclusion. Cast the line, reel him in, and then right at the end, get the fucking cudgel. Yeah. Alright. Uh, RCF-42234 has a very contrarian opinion. Elvis, 1 out of 10. Baz Luhrmann ruins Elvis. <laughs> <coughs> it's so poorly done in his usual overly flamboyant, colorful, puke-inducing way. <laughs> Hank sounds ridiculous, and this will go down as one of his worst performances in film. You'll watch it, of course. But it's so terrible you won't enjoy it. 29 out of 60 found that helpful. It's succinct. I'll give him that. It's right there, right to the point. Um, this one is as, probably as dense as it could be. Uh, our last one here. From Robert25928954. I think that might be his phone number. Can't be sure. <laughs> Six out of ten. Not as good as Kurt Russell. Sorry. After I got, I got one voice this whole time. I'm, it's this the fucking same reviewer. Well, I'm just, I'm just trying to to figure out how Kurt Russell fits in this picture. Oh, oh, he gets there. After watching this film, which took nearly two years to make, I had no other option but to compare it with John Carpenter's Elvis. 1979 biopic starring Kurt Russell. Yes, Austin Butler was good in the role, but he was clearly acting. <laughs> Kurt seemed to have much more heart and had only a few months to prepare <laughs> after watching only two of Elvis's old films since there was so little else available. The major... <laughs> The major difference between this movie and the original is that this film had a huge budget. Carpenter's was just a TV movie. And utilized modern camera techniques unheard of 43 years ago. The director even directly stole a key anime scene from Quentin Tarantino's Kill Bill of Elvis's mother miscarrying. That Which was such a glaring, obvious... I believe was also stolen by Quentin Tarantino. <laughs> oh, it was such a glaring, obvious ripoff that I very nearly turned off my TV. 
The only other difference is that it was written from the viewpoint of Colonel Tom Parker, an illegal Dutch alien, and ex-Carnival Barker with a fake name. While managing to encompass a larger time frame than the Carpenter version, I vastly prefer Russell in the role, who brought more humanity to Elvis than this actor ever could, in spite of his obvious talent. Just one out of seven. But it's got the best line. It's got the best line of the night. That, that... Austin Butler was good in the role, but he was clearly acting. Acting. (laughs) This actor was acting. Gross. Ew. Oh, fuck. All right. In fourth. Embarrassing. Uh, But Jurassic World Dominion. Bring in another $19.6 million. It's made $835 million worldwide. So it's it's about half what the first one did. (laughs) Uh, Got out the right time, I guess. Yeah. Uh, The Black Phone had a pretty pretty good week-over-week retention there. Uh, bring another fourteen million in the second week. Holy shit! What the fuck? All right, so I'm reading this. The budget for this was like less than twenty million. The black phone? Yeah. Well, that makes sense. It's a it's a horror movie, so it's thing. gonna be fucking dirt cheap. But like the fact that is, it's this high during the summer. I just feel like they're they're gonna be able to make a second one. They're making the oh, black if they, phone if too. they if they want to. Yeah, I don't know if. I haven't seen the movie. I don't know if it lends itself to a sequel. <laughs> Universal Pictures is like... You ever played... We played this game in high school called Map Ball. And this was just yeah, so dodgeball indoors, Matt right? With mats on the corners. Um, That's not what Map Ball was to us, but go off. Yep. Yeah. So one of the key proponents of our version of Map Ball was you could have as many people as could fit on a base at a time. All right, so yeah, like mat ball, so it's kickball, right? With mats for bases. Yes, we're on the same page there. Okay, yes, yep. we played the same game. Yep. And since you're using the whole gym class, you know, and not everyone is top athletics, you could stack as many people on a base as you could at a time. And so one of the strategies was, um, as long as long as you weren't like stacked on outs everyone would just run at the same time and (laughs) make the bases in terms of volume. Like one person would get hit, but the crowd would continue. And that's what Universal Pictures is doing right now. Because they got all their, they got like their pack of movies that are in the box office. Universal has gotten, because I know they own Blumhouse or have the distribution rights to their stuff mm-hmm. um so they've they've made a cottage industry for themselves of making high profit margin um horror movies to kind of fill yeah. the portfolio they play the game big releases really well. yeah because jurassic world dominion was was obviously their tentpole for this this right. year that's their franchise and, builder and their their budget their bills payer is the black phone. Well, I mean, 
I'm pretty sure the 835 million <laughs> Jurassic World product is gonna pay nah. pay a few bills. Nah, no way. It's the it's the fucking it's the 20 million margin <laughs> on the laptop. Um, you know it isn't uh, gonna pay the bills. Lightyear. Yeah, hoof. And just its third week already down to a meager 7.6 million dollar take. Um, a movie I- that has struggled to find an audience because no one knows who it's supposed to be. And what, yeah, I, I saw one, uh, one description of it while people were talking about it. Cause someone was like, what the fuck is Lightyear?" And the guy was like, well, they're, they explained the whole like framing device of the movie. And yeah. then they finished off by saying, so instead, so that movie, instead of being an excuse to make a nineties, like cheesy action adventure, Decided to make Interstellar for kids. Yeah, I guess. Oh, oh my God, Kurt! We, we, we've inadvertently stumbled upon. We we reviewed this movie instead of uh, sending it to Masterpiece Theater, so it's not eligible. But this is a five point three out of ten. It's it's a tight one. This is that's probably going to be the closest we get to a five in all of this. This is this is a real this is a real meh movie. This is a mevy. So the problem got a real mevy on our hands. The problem with masterpiece theater from a uh, a standpoint of the scoreboard of trying to find the closest to the five is that a movie has to be like pretty bad to get down to a five on IMDb because there'll always be you 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 hear the reviews. There will yeah. always be people that are just so enchanted by the fact they were inside a movie theater for two hours yeah. that they'll give the movie a ten. <laughs> the light the light box showed me a story. Uh yeah. Yeah. Uh, I'll have the episode out soon, I promise. We'll get there. I've, I've definitely started. Yep. <laughs> um, next, we got Mr. Malcolm's list. We yeah, saw so a trailer seventh. for this. We did. Um, Will be someone's favorite. Yeah, it uh, small world out. No, opened in thirteen hundred theaters to the tune of a million dollar opening. That's uh, mm-hmm. not a big per theater take from Bleecker Street Media. Not, not super familiar with them. Yeah, they've they've done a couple things. They've done a few things. I've seen. I see them often on uh, trailers. Yeah, you know what? For I mean, I guess Minions just really dominated the box office. But for a holiday weekend, you know, kind of, kind of surprised to see how low we're going in in the top ten here in terms of yeah. Money, everything, everywhere, all at once. Which, for Christ's sakes, people is on streaming now. Yeah, they don't. They, I think this is on the studio side. They're like fighting the fight. They're like, we have a real fucking blockbuster on our hands, as close as we're gonna get. So we're gonna keep it in the theaters forever, and we're gonna let it go streaming, and we're gonna soak up every every drop of money <laughs> available to us. Well, thus far, they've managed to wrangle in ninety-two million dollars. Which is huge, especially for a small studio like A24 that I believe distributes now their own stuff. So, yeah, um, they 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 put a lot of money into these movies, and mm-hmm. usually 
they make some money, but not a ton of money. This one's making a ton of money. I think it's like fifty five million in the black now. Yeah, like because um, it was it was a it was a real budget production, and I think this kind of represents. This feels to me like a step change for the studio. Like the studio was already pretty prodigious and legitimate um, before this, but this is like something else. Yeah, it's their first movie they can point to as being a uh, huge like commercial success because mm-hmm. um, they've they've experimented with a lot of stuff like yeah, the disaster artist is is not like a typical what you would think of as an a24 movie um and they all right. for the most part are critical critical darlings because that's the type of movie they they tend to make um mm-hmm. but this is this is one that saw a lot of like crossover appeal and breakthrough. Um, right, I mean, we watched know, it for God's notoriety. Sense. Yeah, <laughs> if, it, if it gets on this show, you know, you know, you've you've been noticed. You've made it. <laughs> there's never been a deep cut movie on this show. No, no, sir. No, certainly You'd not. You have to make an weird... operation to cut that deeply. <laughs> yeah, we've never looked at the work of a weird Hong Kong filmmaker who, <laughs> in a weekend, filmed a bunch of people in ninja suits and then right. spun. 27 movies out of that i tried to tell my brother-in-law about this when we were hanging out and he just gave me like this look he's like it's difficult to explain without sounding like a fucking wild conspiracy theorist yeah no i just i said the name of the movie i said the name of ninja operation five godfather the master and they just said (laughs) what are you doing peter they kind of they gave me that look like i was like have you had a like okay that's all right peter (laughs) I'm glad you like the like You're just that a movie. little jet lagged. <laughs> <laughs> Get you a little water there, buddy. <laughs> um, Doctor Strange to, to wash down your your cocaine bread. Oh shit! Everything, everywhere, all at once has outlasted Doctor Strange in the multiverse of madness. It did not beat it out in, in raw gross numbers, but it it is fact kept. far from it. No. Um, yeah. So this is the in. long. This is the long-lasting multiverse movie. Yeah, it is. It is the mo- the longest-lasting. Get super specific, like Top Gear Grand Tour. The longest-lasting film <laughs> in theaters about a multiverse released in the year twenty twenty two. Um. Yeah. Doctor Strange: Multiverse of Madness, which is now streaming on. It's been for a few weeks now, streaming on Disney Plus, which was I don't know. It seemed to me like a pretty quick turnaround. Yeah, they, I mean, because they had to fucking sweep it out for you know this this blockbuster of of Thor: Love and Thunder. Yeah. There and there's probably a conversation to be had there about are they getting to the point where. Like they're having, they're tripping over their own toes trying to get these movies out and get all this content out to people. You know, um, yeah, I think they've they've pretty well managed. Usually, at least two or three a year. One during like the holiday season, and then one during mm-hmm. summer. Yeah, they've been I just it's stable. interesting right now because. Um, I think about Disney Plus, and I think they're really pushing to make it so that you can't really go a week, like without something like being able to hop between shows. 
you know, because now right. that Obi Wan's ended, I mean, Miss Marvel is or is going on right now, so I guess it didn't start, but they're kind of like ride this until um, the Thor movie comes out, and then I don't know, they'll probably have something ready for after Thor is uh, in the middle of its theatrical run. Yeah, maybe. Um, but still brought in $484,000 in 590 theaters. And rounding out the top 10, we have Jug Jug Yo. Uh, still in just 318 theaters, bringing in another $300,000. Bringing its total to $11 million worldwide. I gotta figure that that international box office doesn't include India, or maybe maybe it does. Because that's yeah. 90% of its box offices. <laughs> that number but yeah, yeah i guess i guess i i always think bollywood is is a lot bigger i know i know india is a fairly poor country but there are, there are a lot of fucking people there. there are a lot of people and they and they're all super hyped to watch these movies <laughs> they are a nation of hype beasts <laughs> a subcontinent full of hype beasts <laughs> um oh. And a little shout-outs to Marcel the Shell with shoes on, continuing its slow roll out, still in 22 theaters, bringing another $300,000. Um, so, coming soon to a theater near you, hopefully. Soon's a relative term. All right. Yeah. Let's check out some gaming news I this think- week. And I think we should lead with the big announcement, and um, it's it's something that we don't do that often anymore. We have we've stopped doing it for a while, but this is a special uh, exception. Um, tributes, shout shout outs, rest in peace to um, the uh, creator of Yu Gi Oh. Um, yes, the name Kazuki Takahashi. Takahashi, thank you. The name escaped me. Um, very unexpected, very sudden, um, passing today and, uh, no one was really expecting it. Yeah. And, uh, pretty wild, uh, story too. His Mm -hmm. body was just found floating off the coast of, of Nago city in Okinawa. Um, he was 60 years old. You gotta wonder. Um, so they're trying to piece together what happened. Like, that's how surprising it is that they're still had snorkeling gear and had suffered injuries to the abdomen consistent with bites from a shark or some other marine animal. Um, does not mean necessarily that he was attacked, they probably pretty likely post mortem, um, which brings in a whole other. Kinds of questions. This is going to be interesting. I, you know, I don't know how much of this news is going to going to travel this way, but I don't know. This kind of feels like some sort of yakuza hit kind of shit. Yeah, I. Uh, although I don't know what people would have against uh, Takahashi-san. Yeah, you owe money to the wrong people. Yeah, buy one too many motorcycles. Yeah. Um. There. No. There. There's. There's a lot of jokes I could make not going to make them today. Yeah, something we'll something Shadow Realm. 
Yep. Um, but obviously a very influential figure in the realm of games. Yes. We'll miss him, and it's it's kind of a weird, uh, another mark of the era. Like when you think of like people who make trading card games and are involved with like the trading card game culture, I don't think of you know we're starting to get the celebrity death reports coming in. Yeah. For our for our sixty year old pillars of the industry, but like you think about like him and like Richard Garfield and Mark Rosewater. And they're still are, very much alive. I want to. They're all. They're all very much alive. But <laughs> these these folks are like, you know, not even middle like yeah middle age to getting getting older, and yeah, that's not like, something I normally associate with the trading card game industry. Time moves ever forward. It's yes, like when you do. watch Grand Tour now, and you're like, these are all men in their sixties. Yep. See, uh, what's that trap card? Great pyro clock or something? Move the turn count forward by one? Uh, maybe. I don't know. If it's not me... playable, I probably don't know the card. Aha. Pyro clock of destiny. Right. It is a trap from, um, let's see. What set was it from? Probably Metal Raiders or some shit like that. Yeah. Um... Oh, well. It just says, move the turn count forward by one turn. The turn in which this card is activated continues as normal. Watch out, Swords of Revealing Light. Oh, actually, that wouldn't work because it triggers in your opponent's standby phase. Um, But (laughs) um, there are a few... I mean, I guess you can activate this in the standby phase. Um, so there are a few things that this interacts with, I think, given when it was made. Probably. Final countdown. Ooh, final countdown. <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think final countdown's running triple pyro clock of destiny <laughs> to, to eke out three of the 20 turns. Um, yeah. I I think maybe people really desperate to try to get cocoon of evolution to work <laughs> maybe could have tried this out but <laughs> i don't think anyone ever played it ever outside of the playground yeah, where you didn't know the pyro clock of destiny moves ever forward sure does um <laughs> but it will not be bringing with it a new sly cooper or infamous game at least not anytime soon sucker punch has come right out and said that currently they have nobody working on a sly game or an infamous title. So, Sucker Punch is all wrapped up in their. What are they, actually? What have they been doing lately? I was gonna say Spider Man, but that's Insomniac. Um. Mm. I don't know. Was Sucker Punch. I'm gonna look that up now because it's gonna bug me if I don't. Sucker Punch. Games, games. What 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 have you done for me late? Oh, they did Ghosts of uh, Tsushima. Oh yeah, that was a game that happened. Yeah, a lot of people liked it. That was their first game, I think, since Infamous Second Son in 2014. Yeah. <laughs> Just moving uh... on. Come on, Sucker Punch. Yeah. Legendary 
Elden Ring player Let Me Solo Her has been noticed by Senpai, and <laughs> Bandai Namco has sent them a actual factual sword um, for yep. killing the final boss 2,000 times. Pac-Man, uh, Daddy Pac-Man said, "Your they realize, uh, in honor of your, your marketing prowess, <laughs> here is this ultra fan bundle. Please come yeah. to the con. Bucket, so, yeah, pot mandatory. They, uh, <laughs> it, uh, yeah, it, it, let's see. It looks like he had the sword, obviously. That's the highlight there. Um, it came in like an Elden Ring commemorative box. box. Uh, there was some cloak, an envelope, a scroll, and a wood relief of, I believe, that's either his character or the final boss. Um, is it a naked man with a pot on his head wielding two samurai swords it is his character um, okay <laughs> <laughs> and a uh, congratulatory note so that's that's cool that they they've uh, reached out to him and local man him. is the first person ever to finally get good yeah <laughs> confirmed good <laughs> um Nacon has announced an open-world survival game based on the Terminator films, but with an original story. Um, that's in development. I grabbed this because it's a, a new uh, Terminator thing. But um, if you don't want to wait for this game and you can stand really old games... Uh, you should check out the Bethesda Terminator games. They are early Todd Howard works that, for the most part, function and were actually really ambitious and really ahead of their time in terms of, like, scope and... Right, these were the ones with, like, the semi-open world yeah, like kind of configuration. Yeah. Full 3D... Semi-open world sort of thing. Kind of like a modular world where you had some pretty big maps to discover. You had vehicle sections. <laughs> you had <laughs> a lot of shit that took years to make its way into mainstream games in these games from like the, the mid-90s. Um, yeah. So they're, they're definitely worth checking out. Um, and we'll see, we'll see where this game sets. Can it? Can it stand up to that? Yep. Yeah. Um, so there are a lot of Terminator timelines. I wonder which one this one's going to consider canon <laughs> <laughs> and work its way around. Um, but but we shall see. Sur survival game makes me think it's going to be uh, less like a, a shooter, blah, blah, blah. It, the, you know what? It would be interesting if they kind of made it like Alien Isolation. Where, where you gotta hide from, from you gotta hide from yeah. from a terminator um so this this headline i didn't read the article but i, I just want to i have not yet read the article but Please, I want, grab my attention with this attention i want headline. everyone to everyone's brain to kind of do the the same pinwheel do the salsa chimichanga yeah 
Half-Life remake Black Mesa is getting a remake in the original Half-Life engine. Yeah, no, that one that that hurts. That I, I'm taking psychic damage right now. Black Mesa remade Half-Life in the Source engine, but now modders want to remake Black Mesa in the Gold Source engine, which is what the original Half-Life. Hey, you um, know what? I can do that for on. you right now. Done. Got it. Did it. So, you say that, but it's actually not correct because they did completely redesign Zen, which is the last few levels of Half-Life. Right. Because in the original Half-Life, Zen, Zen suck. was shit. Donkey balls, yeah. Um, I have not played the Black Mesa Zen, so I can't comment on the quality improvement, but it's hard to imagine it's any worse yeah. than, than Zen was. So, I think... You could just do that as, like, just level mod in the redesigned Zen and call it a day. Um, I'm sure there's some under-the-hood and quality-of-life improvements to Black Mesa. I know they kind of used a lot of assets and um, stuff from Half-Life 2. And no doubt the knowledge of Gold Source has only increased in the years between, um, or the years since... Half-Life, and especially since Black Mesa. Yeah. You know, like, um, even if it's a legacy uh, source engine, like, people learn, people are still learning how to do shit on that and how to optimize it, make it run better. Yeah. So I guess the, the idea here is that since um, Black Mesa reinterpreted the the half-life experience many see it as the best version of half-life um taking changes and bringing them to the original half-life engine just gives you an updated upgraded version of half-life it's still i you know it's one of those things where it's just people who are bored and want to fuck around with a project mm-hmm. um i did play play black mesa i guess yeah um, treat yourself to some creature comforts and modern <laughs> visuals because uh, a lot of Half-Life has not aged particularly well. No. Being, sitting on the cutting edge means it's the first thing to get dull. Yeah. Um, that was my, that was my pith, my pithy comment of the episode. <laughs> I am so cool and trendy. Yeah. So putting that in my yearbook. <laughs> uh, PAX organizers are setting to bring back E3 in 2023. Uh, the keen-eyed among you may have noticed that we did not do an E3 episode this year, which is something of an annual tradition for us. That is because there really was not an E3 this year. There were some direct-to-viewer uh, streaming right. live streams where they talked about games, sort of. Um, they just kind of nothing of real import or intrigue was discussed for the most part continue to follow our individual brands thank you content will come possibly (laughs) so we didn't see the need to do an e3 episode um but e3 is looking to return to its former glory under a partnership with pax which will um see the show take place at the Los Angeles Convention Center 
where it had been held since 1999 until the pandemic hit. Um, E3 2020 was summarily canceled. Um, and mm-hmm. the that saw the inaugural Cyber Game Fest alongside independent remote showcases from various publishers. In 2021, the E3 branding returned in partnership with those publishers while the ESA stayed out of the mix in the 2022 non-denominational game announcement festival held last month. <laughs> um, E3, hopefully it comes back. I mean, hey. is, does, it, is it, does it really serve a purpose anymore? Not really. Not really, but but you you need it. You everyone loves those classic E three moments, like my body is ready, and uh, Microsoft just shitting the bed and Sony yep. dunking all over them. <laughs> the cyberpunk reveal, your breathtaking, like all the fucking like Duke Nukem. Forever E3 yeah. demos. <laughs> 16 times the graphics. Um, just all that good shit. And it's 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 very... Uh, to me, it's very much a cr- bucket crabs kind of mentality. Um, in a way that, like, they're all trying to claw carve out their own thing. Because Nintendo did it first, because Nintendo doesn't play by anyone's rules except their own, because they're stodgy old Japanese people, so they just like, we're just going to do our thing. You try your novel things and your new things, and we're just going to be over here doing one thing forever. Whatever it is Nintendo does. Yes. And the Nintendo way attracts the Nintendo fans, and they they praise it, and then everyone else decided to get that idea and thought, you know, if we all do that, we'll definitely all prosper and it'll be good. Instead of having one event where um, everyone gets together and you get that that nice cross um, that cross contamination, and you get to open up your market to more people, yeah. um, and you get it's it's a higher spike. Um, the people but, most hurt by this, I think, are like the smaller studios that are working on a game because it's a trade show. And a lot of times, these smaller studios or even people who are uh, developing right. independently will bring a demo to E3. And a lot of times, that feedback they get is very crucial mm-hmm. to kind of steering the ship correctly. That's It's the delicious spread filling in the cracks. Like, you're, like you, you buy your ticket to go see the Microsoft presentation. But when you're there you see all the different indie stuff and that's usually what you walk away. You see like one thing from Microsoft that you like and you see like two or three indie games that you also liked. And for that one thing from Microsoft that you like, there's a line out the fucking door of people trying to get time on the demo. Mm -hmm. Whereas, you know, little indie dev number 73 is, you know, waiting for someone desperately hoping someone comes over to talk about their game. with. Yeah. Here's this sweet, here's, here, enjoy your 30-minute demo of Slay the Spire, this new game that's coming out, you know? Dude, I went on an ironclad run, I did an endless run, and I, I did five loops, and I had a really sick deck, but it just, it keeps getting harder every time you loop, and um, I got I got forced into taking the relic that doesn't let you see 
enemy intense anymore, and I got bombasted mm. by the Hexacoast, but oh shit, it was quite quite a run. I I did I I've I've realized the full potential of the Ironclad, um, <laughs> which is a character I I often struggle with. So that right. was that was You're like how how can we hit things. big stick hair harder, bigger sticker, bigger and stickier. Um, <laughs> that's not right. It's not right at that, all. That's a wrong thing to say. Um, the Netherlands is moving towards an outright ban on loot box. A motion calling for new laws and regulations was spurred by a recent court ruling that loot boxes are not a form of gambling. Um, is it bad that I thought when you, for a split second when you were starting this this article? Is it bad that for a split second I thought that like oh Netherlands that's the new battle royale game. <laughs> Like that's the new thing from like Treyarch. That is, it's a little bad. Not gonna <laughs> lie to you. It's, it's, it's all a going down the drain. Um, yeah. So, representatives of six political parties in the Netherlands have filed a motion calling for more stringent regulation on loot boxes and video games, and possibly even an outright ban. The motion describes loot boxes as addictive and says that they are a form of gambling and are designed to manipulate children into spending money. Uh, those are those are all true statements, no <laughs> lies detected. True facts. Um, and lastly, Disco Elysium review coming soon um, has added in dyslexia friendly fonts, which is great because there's a fuck ton of reading in that game. <laughs> yep. Um, it's all kind of right so there. So many words. Yeah, and like. It is voice acted or and narrated for the most part, but yeah, they just there's not a whole lot visually going on for the most part with your right. characters. They're just kind of standing around, and so you're drawn to the dialogue that just pops up. So you find yourself reading ahead quite a bit, <laughs> or at least yeah. I do. Yes, no, I'm not the same way. Um, well, that's good. That's so yeah, good that's, that's that's good on that. Um, All right. I'm seeing this um, one one PC story, then we can jump into our feature. This just popped up. Um, Nvidia may delay RTX 4000 due to oversupply of RTX 3000. Yeah. So uh, that that kind of it just hurts. Yeah. I mean, the the existence of a 4000 series card does not make a 3000 series card any slower. Um, it might be slower relative to the new thing, but, um, I would say take advantage now with like inventory clearing, but the fact of the matter is, while GPU prices have returned to some sense of normalcy, you still really can't get one for MSRP unless you get lucky on a, on a Best Buy stock drop. Mm -hmm. They're all a little more expensive and NVIDIA kind of like stopped producing the cheaper models like you can find the 3080 10 gig sometimes for the 699 or really more like 750 um but what you're going to find more is the 1200 dollar msrp 3080 ti which is like right. a whopping four percent faster than the 3080 while consuming a lot more power <laughs> Just, 
you'd think that these things would be sensitive to changes in the in the uh, supply and demand curves. But as we've seen with secondary markets, um, <coughs> magic, um, that just doesn't seem to be the case. It's not even really the secondary market. It's just like, well, I mean, I guess they're not. Because now that you're now not that, buying it straight from NVIDIA. Right. Yes. But that's why like, the used market. Because they're also, as I understand it right now, the wool. The scales are finally being lifted from a lot of crypto people's eyes, and mining rigs are starting to be broken down and scrapped, as it were. Yeah, that is, that is happening. But like even even amongst like Newegg and Amazon and buying direct from EVGA, um, EVGA less so because their their prices at least stayed consistent. They're usually a little more expensive. Mm -hmm. um, Let me see what AIB what's burners. going for on Newegg. 3080 for 800. Um, yeah. Which, yeah. again, that, that part has a a 699 MSRP. Mm -hmm. um, I paid about $836 for my 3080, but it is, like, the top skew from EVGA. So that was, like, MSRP for what that skew would be. Yeah. Um, Nvidia three thousand. You can't even. You can get your get your razor, or your you know your pre built with it in it. But I don't see. Just buying the part, yeah. <laughs> Looking at this list, you know you'd think that Newegg just uh, they just sell pre built PCs now. Newegg has gone downhill real quick into a hole yeah from when they got bought out by that chinese company coincidence sure <laughs> i think not ccp friendly content i want this show to get banned in china as long as it's not banned in spain yeah that he's we love faithful. you love you I'm, I'm serious like reach out to us even if even if you're not so great with English, I'm okay with Spanish. Maybe maybe we can correspond. I just really want to pick your brain, see 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 what it is that yeah. draws you to the show week we after week. We could be compadres, amigos, as you say, <laughs> amigos like you say. Ah, <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. Let's 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 get to talking. I've never I haven't done an editorial transition and right several years at this point we've got we've got a little bit of time yeah Although, it's, it's been a minute yeah um so like you said the question on our mind today is i would characterize it as the tall versus wide game design question i know that is a pretty vague way and can be applied to video games in a variety of ways uh but in this case specifically um we're talk. i guess we're talking in a sense about game progression um or like what should be the driving force of the value proposition so right. i actually i'll admit right up front here i'm not entirely certain where i land on this issue um mm -hmm. i i think gut reaction i'd be like oh yeah long games i love rpgs 60 hour campaign inject that shit into my veins 
But then I started thinking more and more about the games I play a lot of hours into. And, um, you know, and we have our, our metric where a dollar per hour is your golden. The classic, golden the, the OG. Ratio. Uh, you're getting good value out of that. So by that logic, what games are giving me the most value? And a lot of it has been roguelites, which definitely fall into the category of replayability because there might not even be a story. Uh, but mm-hmm. that core gameplay loop is, is satisfying and addicting enough to keep you coming back for more and more. Now, in fairness, I also have quite a few hours put into several RPGs. But if I take a look at my Slay the Spire play time of 172.4 hours just on steam um <laughs> right and it starts to starts to really kind of um versus my up. yeah i don't know what's a good rpg example Fallout new vegas yeah Fallout new vegas i've got 90.7 hours on that um i wish i could see my uh like certain games like Mass Effect, I've got comparable hours on too. Um, mm-hmm. But these are games that I've had for years. So, like Knights of the Old Republic 2, I've put 107 hours in on Steam. Um, Countless on Xbox. Yeah, many, many, several times that on Xbox. Mm-hmm. Um, and so I do put a lot of hours into these RPGs, but I think the thing is that based on the length of the game, I find I am not playing them as often as I am these roguelites. And some of that's going to come down to your situation, right? Right. As no, an adult, I, yeah, you have less the, the time. time. So you, have. you like that sense of achievement in something. Like if I play, some days I can only play two hours of video games a day. That's all I can get in after I put the rabbits to bed before I go to bed. Like that's my window to play video games. Mm-hmm. Um, I can play two hours of an RPG and, and I have at times and you slowly move yourself through the story. Yep. Um, There's, I know that, um, for example, the, the whole portable game, um, that period of time in portable handheld game before the cell phones, um, where there were there were RPGs on there that were pretty solid time commitments, um, but the the handheld yeah. gaming experience was built um, with session gaming in mind, uh, very yes. short session gaming in mind, even down to like twenty minute sessions on the low end. Um, but you still had things like the fucking six episode. Battle Network Saga. You had Golden Sun one and two. Um, you you know ported classic, classic RPGs. Final Fantasy three, um, Shining Force. Yeah. Fucking like that stuff was you, you. They said you know let's we can put it on a Game Boy. <laughs> let's have it on a yeah. Game Boy and kids will play it on their bus. You know like Legacy of Goku two and uh, mm-hmm. Booze Fury dropped a ton of time into both of those. Those are action rpg sort of games um you know even the original game boy well i guess they were game boy color games but you had like oracle of season and ages Mm -hmm. and link's awakening and you know on the other end of the spectrum you had 
games that were more designed to be played in a small chunk and your have Tetris. real progress. Your Tetrises. Your uh, that's the that's the Ur uh, session game. Yeah, your your Tetrises. Your even even your Mario's to a certain extent. Mm-hmm. Um, Sonic. Yeah. Ports that sort of thing. Um, so you do on initial value. So I guess like to kind of thoroughly examine this, I suppose that you have to kind of look at a game that sort of has neither. So I used to buy some stuff on humble bundle and there'd be like a headline game in the bundle that you paid the money to get. And then they'd throw in a bunch of other shit in there with it. That's sort of related. And then you find out why these games were throw-ins with your humble bundle. Right, because so, they're just... Yeah, and when I was going through my backlog during the pandemic, I had discovered a couple of these kinds of games in my Steam library. One of them is um, Spec Ops The Line, and the other is mm-hmm. The Darkness 2. Both of which are... Well, I think Spec Ops The Line had at one point multiplayer, but... I highly doubt yeah. servers are still <laughs> active for that. That seem that I that kind of seems like a weird inclusion. I because I've the main impression in the legacy that kind of game has had is that it has a very you know people aren't play, talking about the gunplay so much, even though I've heard it, you know it does have some solid it's gunplay. All right, but it's, it's more like, about the gripping uh, narrative, right? And the narrative is pretty good. It has a has an interesting twist that kind of uh, forces you to really accept some some wild things in how the story plays out. If you're going to reconcile that twist being the truth, mm-hmm. um, but it's about a six hour campaign. Darkness Two, similarly, and there's not a lot to bring you back to it. Like you said, the gunplay is it's solid but unremarkable. And, um, you know, the levels and set pieces are interesting enough, but not like, oh, yeah, that level is so cool. I want to play that again and again and again. Um, and the story is right. not very long. So if I had to pay full price, I don't think it re- – I hope that God didn't release for full $60. I hope it was like a $40 game. <laughs> but even then, had I paid that kind of money for that game, I'd have been fucking pissed. Because there's not a whole lot, like maybe you'll play the story mode a couple more times throughout the time you own the game. So that's like 18 hours that you're committing to the game. Mm -hmm. And Darkness 2 is even worse. I I have no, there's RPG elements, there's kind of different builds you can do. But functionally, the the game's fairly simplistic that I don't really feel the need to go back and explore those different builds so Mm -hmm. i haven't put many much time into either so there's something to be said for like making a longer game so if you if it is a game that you only play Mm -hmm. once you don't feel like you got cheated but the longer a game goes you know sometimes it loses focus and you're just left with a bunch of fucking padding which no one wants right um you know, we're we're thinking about JRPG. We were as we were talking as you're talking about this. I was kind of thinking like, oh, you know, the original question kind of used the example of JRPGs at the end of depth first, we'll call it type of games. And the thing I, I should preface, it's pretty obvious, but we'll preface here that 
this isn't a linear spectrum. This is like a big fucking multi-dimensional palette because you're not just yeah. going up or down. There's plenty of stuff to go sideways. And I think, but I think as you get really far deep into the weeds on like length first gaming, it almost you start to get into the other mediums. Like if you want to really fucking stretch it, you go to visual novels and like, yeah. are you even like that's the question? Is like, is that even a game at that point? And and another point of view is that the two aren't necessarily mutually exclusive there are exactly. a lot of longer games that i find to be very replayable like knights of the old republic yep you i know, would say there's... that's actually a pretty good blend of the two yeah um it's i mean it's not super you know the replayability isn't as immediate as something like and you at least well, there's always at least two playthroughs that mm-hmm. are kind of demanded of you in a game like that where there's multiple endings um and the way coder set up is kind of smart where it's you know you kind of have to lay the groundwork to get a certain ending you can't you know do everything up to the point of no return the same and then just make a different choice at the very end to see the other ending right um i yeah i would also say that um further along or deeper in, you know, almost at the level of visual novels is like the shit, like the David Cage games, you know, like the heavy rain, the beyond two souls, yeah. right? Where that is all, that's just a move. That's a movie with interactions as you know, that's what he wants to kind of make there. And yeah. I don't talk, I don't hear about those being talked about as uh, eminently replayable experiences. They do try, yeah. They're really putting in the effort. I do know that like Detroit Become Human has like a system where you like you're completionist. You can do your completionist rating by like exploring all the story trees. Right. But is that a satisfying way of replaying the game is like uh, in an in a role playing game or a narrative game, right? You make the choices the first time around because they're the choices you want to make. Then right. the second time you want to explore an alternate choice that was like tempting you. But I think in that in that specific case, like in Detroit, when you're playing every option to like fill out your your story map, that does not seem like yeah. a satisfying play experience to me. And I kind of feel a similar way about uh and we'll we'll see how I feel in a few weeks, but with with Disco Elysium kind of being raw in my my consciousness, you know, I've made my decisions, and I know for sure because you can kind of see the checks that you fail. Um, I know for sure that I could definitely play things differently further down the line, but I feel like the game towards the end kind of overstays its welcome a little bit and it's like do i really want to go back and and try it differently maybe it maybe it's a fresh enough mm-hmm. experience i don't know I'll, I'll certainly give it a shot at some point we'll just not right now yeah and then um, on the other extreme end of the spectrum um not even just roguelikes but like mobile freemium games yeah right where your gameplay and, or mmos like, yeah where like where the whole thing is you're ex- like you go into it knowing that your gameplay loop is quite tight and yeah. novelty is introduced at like 
a money premium. <laughs> um, and those are almost kind of designed to not be satisfying, like satisfying enough to replay until you kind of snap out of it. And you're like, oh, I've just yeah. been doing the same shit for a while. Um, and you have to pull in the enjoyment from other places, whether that's in a mobile game where you're buying stuff to yeah. make your to skip through the to monotony get more of, game <laughs> right or in mmos where you're leaning into the social aspect of it um and deriving you know using that in conjunction with the gameplay loop that's almost to the point where it's um instinctual or like you know muscle memory kind of right yeah like you're not you have to grind when you're playing so much, an mmo you know? and you're at a high level you're really not well all right i gotta be careful <laughs> <laughs> I'm about to step on some fucking toes. Like, all right. It, I would be remiss in saying that it was a brain dead experience. I, that's not, you know. Right. Um, yeah. But, but like, I, you, you know, we're not you focused. It Like your main focus is not on the game game. It's working with your team and yeah. working with your guild to do the team events. It's I guess that's your, what I'm trying to get at. Yeah. You're doing your rotation that you've done a million times. Right. Before. And it's practiced and it's done, but it's not um it's not as dynamic as say like Street Fighter. Yeah. Where which where and that's another one. We're just like skill based East. Yeah, where games where do fighter, fighters and, and the such land on this? I would say it's probably more a replayability thing, because, you know, arcade mode is is about the length you get now you could have a, a lot of characters then that mm-hmm. adds to the length i suppose if you're if you're doing a completionist sort of deal um but yeah it's like you said it's a spectrum and it's it's multi-axial and they're not mutually exclusive there's definitely a lot of games that kind of meet a happy medium here um but i think i've kind of convinced myself because i looked at it earlier as like it's kind of a question which is better a long game or a a really replayable short game you know the jrpg versus the roguelike which which would you pick if you had to pick one you know i think it's it's kind of tough i love rpgs i love roguelites um but when i i look at the actual question that was asked in in that reddit post and that i i kind of proffered to Peter when we decided mm-hmm. to do this editorial, what should be the focus of the game developer? And you know, depending upon the game you're making, you know, I don't want, I'm not going to cop out and say it depends, but it does kind of depend a little bit on yeah. the type of game you're making. Cause you, some games you really want to emphasize telling a story and that might be longer and the gameplay might be a little bit secondary um kind of like a metal gear game where that's mm-hmm. that's a long story and there's gameplay sections but they kind of are as a means to it ends to to uh advance the plot and not to call the gameplay depth of metal gear games shallow but right, but um, it a... it's it's certainly not the focus mm-hmm. let me offer this i uh, let me think about it this way um because I, I just this just kind of popped into my head. Um, 
I'll put forth the theory, you know, that a shorter replayable game offers, if you're thinking about like uh, sound editing, right? <laughs> Weird analogy. Well, think about about sound editing. Those kind of games, you're more, uh, if we're calling it the roguelike end of the spectrum, those offer a better attack, a more aggressive attack, right? right. Where you're really sucked in immediately because the high level gameplay and the base level gameplay share the same kind of foundation in that way. But uh, conversely, your long narrative games offer a much better decay. Like when, when you're, uh, after you've played something like risk of rain for a while, and I still love risk of rain, but like when we were ready to move on, like you go a hundred to zero real quick. Yeah. You're just like, yeah, I'm not, I just don't want to play it right now. Don't want to play it for a while. I'll get back into it later, but I'm putting it down. Whereas with like, again, the, the RPG side of it, right. You were saying even about Disco Elysium where the end started to drag on and, and stay a little too long, but you pushed through it. You were yep. driven through it. And this happens in a lot of RPGs. Like that's almost, it's one of the, Usually like, like there's always going to be like, in in ninety percent, eighty percent of the cases, there's gonna be like the boring part. Whether and especially it's literally if you've played it many times before, mm-hmm. like with Mass Effect, I've played a bunch of times, and in Coder too. Like there's there's a, a a level or a mission or or a general section of the game that you know usually the beginning kicks it off really well, and, and there's a lot of exciting, and sometimes it's the opposite. Like with Coder Two, the I don't want to play Paragus ever again. Yeah. Um. So it's and it is unfortunate with Coder that it's the the part that everyone hates in both cases. I mean, it's more in two than one, but it's right at the beginning. Yeah, Terrace was not as bad, but Terrace definitely did drag on for a little bit. And in Mass Effect Two, once you get past the ha- the hot opening act, you know, you, you tend to like hit this wall a lot of times where you're like, you kind of have to force yourself past, you know, the good shit's coming and you really want to get to the good shit, but you recognize like the tedium between point A and point B. And you're like, okay, I got to settle in, strap in for this here. Mm -hmm. Um, And that's, and I think that's why like, and you went through it, but the thing is like you pushed through. Yes. Where, you know, yeah, you know, know the good shit's coming. Whereas in like shorter replayable games, right? They've the original like rogue games didn't have any like persistent gains that you could get. Like you either did right. it or you didn't, which was that's a very arcadey thing. Like um, yeah. persistent gains are only present in the player, not in the the game file. Um, and that's why like things like in Risk of Rain and Slay the Spire, you unlock cards as you go. You unlock perks. And that gives you, that's a method of incentivizing the drive to continue playing through your file and, yeah. and upgrading things. And you, that you is just no, inherent in RPGs. Yeah. Um, but uh, circling back around to, um, I think if, if you look at the question that was offered here, mm-hmm. uh, what should the focus be? I would say I've kind of talked myself around into saying that you should look 
more towards replayability than length. Just as how I often complain on this show to the detriment of Jake, who I guess just will sit in front of his TV all day if if he must, um, <laughs> that you don't need to have a three-hour movie if you can tell your story in two hours and 15 minutes. Mm-hmm. Um, the movie shouldn't overstay its welcome, and I don't think a game really should overstay its welcome. You don't want to get into a situation where there's a bunch of extra bullshit in there to pad length like you know weird vehicle sections or if your game's not really featuring vehicles anything Mm -hmm. i think it's just you should focus first on making a very tight experience that's enjoyable and if it's enjoyable enough people will want to replay it so i think replayability is kind of a reflexive um occurrence Mm -hmm. with quality um if you make a quality experience it will often be replayable um yeah with very few counter examples but if you make a game that's just long you know i'll play it but maybe only once like um divinity 2 um yeah i i i going through that that again the, the best game i never want to play again because it was a it was a very quality experience, but it was also very long, very arduous, yeah. and had a very steep learning curve. Where like if if we had if we played that in like five to ten eight hour sessions over the course of a month, like that's yeah. how I you would have to do it. Not like we did it. Yeah, that I I knew only that game for too long a period of my life and it was it was a good game like i can recommend it heartily to anyone and there's definitely a lot of depth to explore with some replayability but the story is the game is just a little long which i think kind of ironically hurts its replayability a little bit because you know like i'm i'm committing to another hundred plus hours of gameplay <laughs> right <laughs> yeah um there's a there's an uh, an essayist i watched jacob geller who kind of made a video related to this it's called games that save the best for last and this re- this kind of relates to our issue and a point he makes in that is that a lot of games will put the good parts like the parts they really want people to see first you know, you want to bring it back to the basics. The fu- You put the fucking loop-de-loop in the first level of Sonic. You don't save that shit for, like, Labyrinth Zone. Although, probably should have put some, some of that in Labyrinth Zone. <laughs> um, no, you put that in the first level, so any everyone who starts the game gets to do the loop-de-loop. Because, almost by definition, uh, more people will play the start of a game than the end of a game. And value... You can think of it as a two-way street, right? On our end, we want as more as much game for our money as you you can get. But on their end, right, they want as much uh, it's it's flipped where they want as much um, money for their game as possible, right? You don't want right because if you're made a if you made a game and everyone plays the first level, and fucking yeah. stops, then 
I don't know. I, now, maybe you didn't waste all that money because maybe they wouldn't have bought it if they didn't at least have the perception that it was going to be a full game or, you know, even if they didn't end up using all of it, right? They yeah. bought it on the premise that they expected to. But if they didn't, that's still a lot of wasted yeah. effort on your end and a lot of creativity that uh, didn't get, uh, that doesn't get appreciated. And I know game designers, as much as it's a business, it is still an art. <laughs> it is made yes. by creative they, people they who want to be artistics, are, yes, are passionate. Um, and, you know, so if you don't, uh, you have to really trust in the product you made, like above and beyond, like a darling, you know, to put some, to put all the good shit, like at the end and trust that the thing you've made, um, creates the drive in the audience to yeah. push past the suck. <laughs> and that's why I think a lot of these it's moved the the good ones, the good narrative games or the popular ones have moved into the realm of indie. Um, I think of like Undertale, right? That's a yeah. that's a big popular one. And it's not a short I wouldn't call it a short game because there's a lot you have to dig to to get to the parts that everyone's a fan of. Yeah, I mean, there's a lot of narrative games that have been higher profile in AAA like you know, God of War and mm -hmm. Jedi Fallen Order, which is uh, very similar to the new God of War. <laughs> I started playing right. Fallen Order, and I'm like, huh, just as The Force Unleashed was old God of War, this game feels a lot like new God of War. Yeah. Um, and, the re I mean, this actually kind of makes, this this fits really well. It's like, there's a big reveal. Go watch our series on it. There's a big reveal in in God of War. Um, a few of them, Several. and they have, they they let you they they put that deep in there because they trust that they have a huge fucking fan base that will play the whole game. Yeah, and, and you're gonna like, play it because you know it's quality because you know it's a God of War game. There's a big moment, especially for fans of the original series, about halfway through the game, maybe a little past halfway, and like. I literally, it sounds stupid and corny, but I did actually have goosebumps while I was, you know, making my way back to Kratos' house to get this thing that, you know, I knew what it was, and <laughs> I was excited mm -hmm. to see it. Um, and they, they built it up beautifully. And, yeah, like, it's... The game drew me in well enough with... It, it set the premise pretty well. Like, there's... Very early on in the game, there's a very climactic and cinematic fight which grabs your attention and, and the rest of the gameplay is tight enough to um, hold your interest to get to the good shit. Um, they didn't throw it all at you in the beginning. Not that that's necessarily the wrong way to make a game, but... Um, no, yeah. Um, now, I, I, we'll, yeah, Go ahead. I'll probe you on this too because I just thought of this. How did you feel when you finally finished Hades? Because that's a that's a that's just explicitly a roguelike, um, but it's one of those ones that you know, as these tend to be, is pretty punishingly hard. And then you know, one of the things that a lot of people who play these kind of games feel is like that satisfaction and that relief at finally having like conquered the game after yeah. so many hours. Definitely huge huge sense of accomplishment the first time I finally 
beat Hades. Um, and then you realize, oh, you got to do this a lot more, asshole, to get, like... Hades is an interesting example of this, because it has a story. Right. And it, it's told as you complete the 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 loop more and more times you know there there's a story there's like uh, the first act you know zagreus is trying to escape hades to, to find persephone um and you know that you're like okay that's the drive of the this game, once yeah. i finally beat it once i finally beat him you know that's it and i can just you know do challenges for the sake of challenges but then you find out no, there's there's a lot more to this, and you need to do this over and over again. And it, a lot of my enjoyment of roguelites comes from that. Like, I can see myself tangibly getting better at this game. Um, right. And I'm not having to commit hours and hours and hours and hours and and read, you know, dozens of wikia pages and bust out my literal actual spreadsheets for certain rpg builds mm-hmm. um but no it was like it was such a such a huge thing because yes as you play the game you get things that make it a little easier but at the end of the day i i kurt bennett right and was the deciding factor in getting over the hump not uh, this unlock I got because I just ground out, you know, 80, 80 loops. Exactly. Yeah. Um, that and that kind of goes back to what we were talking about earlier. Those those um, persistent internal changes. Same thing with with fighters and classic esport arcade things, right? Where you just it's the loop is a match, right? The game loop is yeah. a match, but your arc as a player. Um, spans your whole career with the game um and you know what do you, what do you where does that land that's gotta land pretty high on like replayability yeah um, so yeah like definitely esports titles are high in the the replayability factor and low in the length factor and i think the success mm-hmm. of that um i think you can find a lot more games that are considered to be among the best ever made lean more towards the replayability focus than the link focus uh with the exception of jrpgs like your final fantasies your dragon quests all that stuff Mm -hmm. because it is pretty much just a single story with a straight through narrative that you cannot influence as the player um, at least not in in huge ways. There there may be some subtle differences you can can enact here or there, but for the most part, the story is going to play out the same way every time. And it's long. It's a big time commitment, and you know there's nothing in the game to really encourage a second playthrough, other than you like the game and you want to play it again. Um, and those are really the only examples I can think of of a game that really does not put any forth put forth any thought into being replayable and just says I'm gonna tell my story. And I guess Metal Gear also kind of falls into that category too, because you know, there are there are some cool set pieces and, and things of that nature, 
but the gameplay itself is fairly basic. It's stealth games, and stealth games often are are fairly mechanically deep, but the gameplay itself is fairly basic compared to the the over the top craziness of the story. Um and and you know, there isn't a whole lot uh to incentivize a, another playthrough other than experiencing the game again. Right. And um a and once again we'll kind of make our second lap back around to the question where would the where would the developers be better served putting their stuff? And you know, if we're talking from a simple utility perspective, I'm, you know, kind of, I'm trying, it's all, it's all starting to come together for me. I think, you know, you can think about it from a utility perspective and say, oh, the one that they're going to replay more because they'll get more, um, you know, more plays. They'll get to see every portion of that game. Um, but if you have a really good idea and you have something that you're really invested in and a story that you've made, one or two playthroughs can be enough to cement the, a game in culture, in the creative history. Um, and if you know that, you know, one playthrough is is worth your 60 bucks of, like, creating, right? Mm-hmm. Um, if you know they're going to get their money's worth out of one or two run-throughs of a full full narrative, then maybe that's all you need. Maybe you know, like Red so, Dead, Red Dead Redemption, right? Yeah, that's a that's a long, slow kind of game, but it's very it's iconic, uh, you know, as as a video game because once people played it once, like they've it's the amount what they've gotten out of it cumulatively is huge. Yes, and you know it's you can find successes on both both ends and mm-hmm. you know i kind of took the the cop out answer to a degree where you know if your game is quality chances are it's going to be replayable but the the focus the the question kind of warrants more more commitment than that because it's where should they place the focus should they design it with replays in mind like you want to play this again like having an rpg with a branching story you know that incentivizes replaying the game because you want to see how the story plays out if you did x or y decision instead of z or w um and you have you know obviously the extreme examples of roguelites and then you have you know the jrpgs and other games that don't really place a lot of emphasis on um, replaying the game, but have a, a large or ambitious story. I, th- I still, I think I've convinced myself because I, when I first read the question, I, I kind of snap reptile brain was like length. Obviously the more time the a game is to be, you know, the more by my chart, you know, you've gotten more value, more game per dollar. And you're you're mm-hmm. in 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 the money, but as as we've as I thought about it more before we went on the air, and as we discussed it through here, I think I've kind of come around to you should design with replayability in mind because I think while you might have a more limited design space. 
for your creative side. You know, if you're if you're making a roguelite, for example, there's only so much you can design. Um, right. So it it might be a little less fulfilling in in that regard, creatively, but especially from a financial standpoint, um, you know, you got to figure the development of a roguelike is <laughs> I mean, a lot that's easier. Why. That is why phone games make so much fucking money. Yeah. So from a business perspective, thousand percent replayability is is where you want to have your attention Mm -hmm. drawn. Now, like I said, replayability as it applies to a consumer's opinion on a game is really more of a measure of quality. Like if this game's good. I'm going to replay it for the most part, unless you have a Divinity 2 situation where mm-hmm. it's like, no, please. Game's right. great, but no more. Yeah. Um, I think my answer on this is that um, both, both, both is good. Both is great. Um, but if you don't have a rock solid idea or a real fucking silver bullet, um, and you're designing for length, then there is a real pitfall. There's a no man's land where the, you know, the quality you're losing by not making it addictive and replayable is not being overcome by the quality of the story being told until like you're, you're pretty far out there. You're pretty deep in the weeds where you can make a resonant, impactful story that will stick with people for a long, long time. Like if you, if you're not sure about that, your best bet is to make a, you know, make a card battler, make an yeah. MMO, you know. Um, and this again, this is not a, this is not um, derisive, derisive or denigrating of um, of those types of games. Because making a full fucking fully formed uh, concept from start to finish is incredibly fucking difficult, yeah, and and, and again like, it, the risk is high. Like the rewards are high, but the risk is high for that. Yeah, and and like obviously we we have no ill will to that type of game. I mean, like, you know, we talk endlessly about how much we like Risk of Rain too, and how many hours I put on. Slay the Spire and how that's like mm-hmm. might as well be the only game I own for the Switch. <laughs> right. Exactly. Um so like there's there's no wrong answer. And I think you know the 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 moral of the story is, you know, just make the the highest quality experience that you you can based Commit on to your concept. Yeah. What what you're what you've conceptualized what your resources are you know just make the most complete game that you can make and if it's quality it will it will be replayed and people yeah. will buy it and recommend it and i know like from a developer standpoint they're trying to sell the value proposition right so like oh you can replay this or oh this game's very long you're going to get your value out of it because you're be able to put the hours into it um once they've sold you the game once they don't really care what the fuck you do with it afterwards um but again i feel like making a quality game 
is like just every any triple A game that comes out and is devoid of a ton of bugs usually gets some pretty good word of mouth and praise and sells pretty well. Yeah. People respond to quality. They want to know that they're getting something good for their hard-earned dollar. And, you know, I think if you focus on just making the best game you can within your scope, within your budget, within your concept, that the rest takes care of itself. Yeah. And I I guess I will say, like, there is, like, a wrong answer in that you can try and split yourself too many ways and not focus, like we're saying. And what happens there is you end up with a Ubisoft um, open world explorey game. Go find the <laughs> towers, go find all the little markers, and do the stuff. Fucking just do stuff. Collect the no, things. I do not want to replay those games. I don't no. want to finish playing those games. That no. is the pitfall that you can fall into if you, if you know, uh, designers beware. That's that's yes. where you could go. That's the gulf right there. Always always stay true to your your vision. Um and make make a quality experiment. So that's that's the real answer. That's the that's yep. the key to success in the games industry. <laughs> we we we've solved it. We've done but, it. Uh we're Peter and I are, are I guess a little little bit split on on where the focus uh should be between those two things, but like mm-hmm. like the whole question's kind of weird because they don't have to be mutually exclusive. Right. Um, but uh, anyway, that, that was fun. I, I enjoyed just getting, was really getting a good. chance to to dig into a topic. Uh, we'll, we'll have to convince Jake to do more of these. Um, but that's going to wrap it up for episode 322 of the Sound Studs podcast. We're going to be uh doing stuff in the future we got mm-hmm. masterpiece theaters to shoot and edit and release and um <laughs> we've got twinema files in development a lot a lot of cool things planned for the the podcast a lot of big movies yeah. coming out summer possibly movie live next week possibly possibly together. everyone's live live next week we're we're gonna sort that out at some point um so we can figure out what if any days we have to take off work and how to how to swing that um but uh that's that's for us to figure out you guys just check out sadandstuds.com for links to our social medias our uh twitter twitch etc and um Mm -hmm. you know subscribe to the podcast be well stay safe and party like it's 1995 peace Bye-bye. Bye-bye.